At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Richard Nelson, and our, our topic is public policy. Richard, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Todd, you're welcome. It's great to be on the program with you. Let me tell you all about Richard. Richard is the founder and executive director of the Commonwealth Policy Center in Kentucky. He currently serves on the Kentucky Council on Post-Secondary Education, Hopkinsville Community College Board, Kentucky Council of Environmental Education, and Pennyrile Christian Community Board, the recipient of a triple undergraduate major. That is amazing in and of itself. Uh, Richard also earned a master's in public policy from Regent University. He's a friend to me personally and a friend to Kentucky Baptist. Richard, let's jump right in with these questions. So what does the Commonwealth Public Poli or Policy Center do, and what sparked your desire to launch this organization? Yeah, Todd, we're a nonprofit public policy group shoring up the pillars of society. So when I talk about pillars, I mean the sanctity of human life, religious freedom, marriage between a man and a woman, and sound fiscal policies. I know that's a mouthful. I think uh, I've had people describe me as a political missionary. Uh, we're on television. We have two different radio programs across the state. I write newspaper columns for newspapers across the state. I think the best way to describe CPC is that we are here uh, in Frankfurt and across the state working for biblical values in the public arena. We work closely with churches, speak to churches regularly, but we also work closely with our state legislature, trying to bring biblical values to bear on important uh, issues that they're considering while they're in session. So Richard, what, what sparked your desire to start this? I mean, you're the founder. Uh, how old is the organization and, and how did you, what, what made you want to start it? Yeah, Todd, we started 10 years ago with the goal of, again, um, bringing biblical principles into the public arena. Specifically, our political goal was to elevate principled conservatives to serve in our state legislature. Uh, what prompted me to do this was because there was no other group like this. I saw a ministry opportunity and I felt strongly called to do it. I saw God's hand um, leading me in this direction and by some very uh, providential conversations and with some key people across the state, uh, I saw a real opportunity and I saw God's hand in it. And, you know, by his grace, uh, we came together after about a year of deliberation and deep conversations and funding coming together, we, we saw Commonwealth Policy Center launch in 2012, and we've seen tremendous impact ever since then, both election-wise and policy-wise. So Richard, from a, a, an idea, a, a concept birthed in your heart to an organization now that has a staff, a fundraising um, mechanism, um, a lot of communication that you put out, a lot of influence, the Lord just really put that on your heart and has, has seen that through. And so it's fun to get to watch. I'd love to talk to you more about, about that process. But let's talk about public policy. So it's a word that we kind of throw around. You certainly live in, in that world. What is public policy and why should believers 
care about it and be engaged in it. Yeah, public policy is a big term. It's a $10 term. It essentially, it's government laws, regulations, court decisions, um, policies that we live under. And here's the Nelson definition of it, Todd. This is where people come together to share their opinions and values. And we're legislators, whether they're local, state, or federal, they take to heart what people are saying and they craft the laws under which we're all going to live under. Yeah. That's public yeah. policy. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so, Richard, can you give an example from history where believers, followers of Jesus, getting in, engaged in a public policy matter really made a difference? Yeah, I think of uh, William Wilberforce in England, who made it his life's goal to uh, abolish the slave trade. It, it was his Christian convictions that led him and other believers to stand against the slave trade in England. I think in this country, probably the civil rights movement of the 1960s, it was a movement led by pastors with a biblically informed worldview that stood against unjust laws of racial discrimination. And that was a major public policy gain, I think, of the church engaging and uh, standing for righteousness sake. And today we see followers of Jesus in, engaged opposing abortion. We're seeing some progress made and yet the battle is a fervent one, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. Can you give an example, Richard, of where public policy is a matter of just preference, one group likes this and another likes that, versus a public policy issue that really is a moral right and, and wrong? Yeah, Todd, I think we have a really good example on the ballot this election season, and that's yeah. the uh, amendment number one, which uh, essentially allows the state legislature to call itself into session. That's not a particular moral issue. It's a political consideration. I think you can make a good case as to why that should be passed, but I don't put that in a moral category, the same category that I put Amendment 2, which is pro-life Amendment 2, which stops judges from inventing a right to abortion or taxpayer funding of abortion. Those are both, uh, it's, a, it's a profound moral question that believers should be concerned about. Richard, let's talk more about Amendment Number Two. You've given a, a little bit of an overview of it. Could you uh, clarify the scope and effect of Constitutional Amendment Number Two, and then we'll talk about why we should vote yes on on November eighth. So, tell us what Amendment Two is and what it what it isn't. Yeah, essentially, the amendment says this, Todd, and you know very well because we both work very closely together on the passage of Amendment Two. But it says to protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion, or require the funding of abortion. Todd, the scope of this is to essentially keep judges in their lane, to keep a state-level judge from finding a right to abortion in the Kentucky Constitution. And the other provision is to uh, prevent the taxpayer funding of abortions. Both of those provisions are necessary since uh, the Dobbs decision. Abortion policy is now being handled at the state level. And it's so important that we make it clear that there's not a right to abortion in our Kentucky Constitution. Just to remind everybody here, we got abortion on demand in this country in 1973 when the U.S. Supreme Court found a right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution. Well, Todd, we don't want to have that happen here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Kentucky is one of the most pro-life states in the nation. In the last six years alone, 13 pro-life bills have been enacted. And many of those bills, by the way, many of those laws are being challenged in state courts. 
And we believe that to preserve the legislative process, you need to make it clear in the Constitution what it says and what it doesn't say, but also preserve the right of our lawmaking body. This is a state legislature to craft laws for us. We believe that this preserves the the voice of the people. It preserves the democratic process. And and I'll, I'll say this, Todd, if we do not pass Amendment 2, I will go out on a limb and say, I do believe we will have some state level court that will begin undoing some of the pro-life laws that have been duly enacted through the legislature. And we're going to see a long drawn out process of court battles uh, across years and years that will belabor this, that will embitter people, and that really discourages people from having their voice uh, involved in the public policy process. And I don't think we want to have that happen, not like we've seen at the federal level for almost five decades. And Richard, currently in Kentucky, we have an attorney general who's willing to lean in uh, vigorously to defend our, our, pro-life, our pro-life laws. Um, we don't know what the future would hold regarding that office, but uh, he, he himself has done a great, a great job. Uh, and Richard, tell us about the opposition. So there, there's definitely a group opposing the passage of Amendment Number 2. Tell us what, what they are doing. Yeah, the largest group, Todd, is called Protect Kentucky Access. They are led by somebody out of state, same person who led the efforts in Kansas to defeat that measure. They're funded largely by the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. At one point, we'd calculated that 45% of their funding came from Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, which both of those groups benefit from liberalized abortion laws. Uh, Their campaign right now, Todd, first of all, they've raised and spent nearly $9 million dollars which is about nine times more than our team, the Yes for Life Alliance, has raised and spent. Uh, And they're largely misinforming or disinforming people and scaring women. They are talking about passing, if you pass Amendment 2, that it will ban uh, help for women that have an ectopic pregnancy or women that need help with a miscarriage. Uh, Just things that are um, not true under Kentucky law, nor would that be true if Amendment 2 passes. So essentially, they are running a campaign with a whole lot of money led by outside people to scare Kentuckians uh, and to influence our public policy uh, here in the Commonwealth. Uh, Look, Todd, it's going to be Kentuckians who decide this. And I think it's unfortunate that that we have an outside group um, doing the kind of campaign, leading the kind of campaign that they're leading. But in the end, it's going to be Kentuckians that will have the final say on this matter. So, Richard, speak to that Kentuckian out in Clinton. Kentucky or over in Florence or or maybe in Pikeville next Tuesday, and their day's not working out like they planned for it to. They're super busy. Maybe the weather's not even great. We, we have no way of knowing at this point what the weather would be. And they're like, man, I wanted to go. I plan to go and cast a vote for Amendment 2, but I, I really need to get home and fix supper. What would you what would you say to that that person? I'd say to take advantage of early voting right now because the polls are open tomorrow, November the 3rd, and they will be open for a few days after that. And the state legislature changed Kentucky's voting regimen by expanding the number of days where we can vote. So don't use, don't, if you think there might be a chance that you will miss the election on November the 8th, please get out and vote early and vote yes on Amendment 2. Todd, I'm going to just preempt one of the things we talked about offline. This is a monumental moment for followers of Jesus to take biblical values and translate them into public policy. 
we know that uh, Scripture is pro-life from Genesis to Revelation. We read in Genesis that we're made in the image of God, that each human life is worthy of protection. Uh, we know that God knew us. I'm thinking of Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, we read in Psalm 139 that we're knit together in our mother's womb. God recognizes life in the womb. God is pro-life, and we as his followers should be pro-life. Todd, and we've never had an opportunity, in my lifetime anyway, to translate biblical principles into a very important public policy. My encouragement to the church is to get out and to vote yes on Amendment 2. My encouragement to pastors is to speak boldly on this issue. Let me pause for a moment and say this to pastors. If you think this is a political issue, please think again. I do not believe this is a political issue. It is not involving a political party. It is not involving a personality, but it involves a profound moral issue. And if we cannot find our voice to speak on this issue, brothers, I do not know what we can find our voice to speak on as it relates to culture and important public policy. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at cpc for kentucky Richard, you referenced William Wilberforce and his uh, opposition to effective opposition to chattel slavery, the slave trade. Uh, Wilberforce was all in opposing slavery. Do you think his contemporaries realized what a historic day that they were in, that, that, that years down the road that, that people would look back appalled that chattel slavery was ever legalized at all? And, and deeply grieve that reality, not only in, in Great Britain, but, but certainly in our own nation as well. Uh, do, you, do you think, folks, and, and is there a comparison to that's the moment that we're living in today in Kentucky? Todd, that's a really good question. I'm convinced that his peers did not understand the moment that, we're li- that they were living in or the gravity of the situation. And here's why. Their perspective was colored by Uh, the prevailing social norms. The social norm was that, look, slavery was a big moneymaker for England. You had influential people politically connected that made donations that helped these people get elected to parliament. And to disrupt that would be unthinkable. William Wilberforce was laughed at the first couple of times he introduced this bill, but his biblical convictions ran so deep and so true, he did not waver. Uh, He was on the right side on that issue. And I believe that when we look at where we are today, I I believe the church is on the right side. Those followers of Jesus are on the right side when it comes to being pro-life and being in favor of Amendment 2. But our uh, perspective is often colored by what the culture is saying. What's big media saying? What are the arguments from the other side? What are they saying? And we do not step back and see, well, what is God saying about this? What does his word say? What what is the measure of right and wrong? And what should we be doing right now? And this is an opportunity for the church to speak very, very clearly about this and for believers to seize this moment and to to translate their biblical convictions into passing uh, constitutional amendment number two. 
Richard, thank you for for all that. Let's let's shift gears. Talk about other issues uh, apart from the issue of abortion. What are some other cultural issues that should be on the radar of Christians today, especially right here in Kentucky? Yeah, Todd. Uh, in this last week alone, I've taken two phone calls from concerned uh, parents or grandparents about LGBT activism in the public schools. I may have even taken three. There might have been another one uh, in there, but in Lexington schools. There are banners that are in the hallways of all the schools that promote LGBT Pride Month. Now, um, I think that's controversial in itself, but Todd, these are in elementary school classrooms. Uh, Can you imagine first. if we were flying John three sixteen? You know, in the in the average public school in Kentucky, and urging folks to repent and believe the gospel. Can you just imagine that? I mean, it's no, it's not even going to happen. It's not possibly going to happen. Yeah, no, Todd. There would be outcry if that yeah. would happen. And people would push back and they'd call for separation of church and state. But we're seeing right. this in all of the Lexington schools. When I first took this call, I thought, well, maybe that's the high school. Not that that makes it right, but uh, it's in elementary schools. And that's troublesome because elementary school kids, we're talking seven, eight, nine year olds. They really should not be exposed to sexual politics. And that's what this is. LGBT Pride Month. When you identify certain LGBT leaders, put their face on a banner, and then promote the whole um, LGBT movement, that's troublesome for a lot of people, Todd. And uh, that's a call that uh, I've taken recently. I've also, there, there's another issue in Anderson County where a, uh, a, a, a vice principal or an associate principal has taken a stand against preferred gender uh, pronouns. And uh, he said, I can't do this. This, this uh, administrator said that I cannot use the preferred pronoun of a student and then not tell parents he took a stand and he is on administrative leave. Todd, we're seeing LGBT activism uh, across, the, across the state at the public school level. And I do know that parents are concerned about it. This is an issue of concern for the church as well. So, Richard, let's, let's make that... Um... A connection then. I've heard you say that you believe public policy and Christian engagement in public policy, the types of issues you're describing, is a great commission matter. Uh, so help us understand how, how it is and, um, and, and of course, uh, maybe what we should do with that. Yeah, Todd, you know, the great commission is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And unfortunately, a lot of believers have reduced this down to just being, uh, to, to share the faith. Just tell others about Jesus. The Great Commission is much, much broader than that. And I'm going to read it to you. And this is from the ESV version. It says this, in beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 28, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. A couple things to note here, Todd, is that, first of all, Jesus has all authority in heaven, which is a spiritual realm and the physical heavenly realm, but also on earth, which is a physical realm. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. And by the way, he has proven this by overcoming man's greatest fear. Uh, right. And that's death. That's the that's that is having uh, uh, dying and and not um, living forever. Right. You know, I'm I'm reading through Ecclesiastes, and uh, one of the passages there 
says that God has put an eternity into the hearts of man. And I do believe that believers, unbelievers alike, he has, we're, we are eternal creatures made in his image. And Jesus has defeated the grave, taken up our sin uh, on the cross, died the death that we deserved. He lived the life that we should have lived, but he rose again, Todd. And that's the good news of the gospel. Amen. Preach and it. that's where we need to begin, that all authority says that we serve a risen king, a risen savior. Yep. And that should both give us confidence and direction, confidence in who we are, confidence in eternal life, uh, confidence of what Jesus has done for us, but also confidence of our mission. God is building a kingdom, Todd, and you and I are fellow co-workers in his kingdom work. We're told here again uh, in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, discipleship is much broader than just getting a convert. It doesn't say, go ye therefore and make converts. It's to make disciples. And, disciples and he goes on to say, and teaching, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, right? That's right. And that's a big, that's a broad task, right? It's a big, bigger list than just converting. And it's a broad task. And, and you, you believe, see, Richard, that connects to public policy. If I can interrupt you, you believe yeah, yeah, that teaching yeah, all, to observe all things makes the connection to, that includes public policy. Absolutely. And Todd, there are so many opportunities. It's very clear. It should be very clear to all of us that we live in a, a broken world with a lot of hurting people in it. And there are people looking for hope. As we engage these difficult issues, Todd, it could be as simple as around the dinner table with family members. It could be as simple as uh, maybe gathering around the workplace water cooler and talking about some of these issues. But we bring a perspective unlike the world's. Not only that, but we bring hope unlike the world has, and we can speak into these issues, whether it's sanctity of life issues or LGBT or gender pronouns or whatever it might be. We have a hope and we have a guidebook for how we ought to think through these issues. And I see CPC as having a real ministry, uh, engaging the culture according to biblical truths. And every once in a while, we get to point people directly to the person we serve, which is Jesus Christ. I have many, a number of opportunities, actually, where that happens. And so, Richard, the, the culture is definitely discipling our church members. I mean, uh, yeah. the, the culture is discipling children who are in church. They're being discipled by what they're seeing on social media, just the general environment. And so the, 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 the church, its, its leadership, we, we have to address the matters that the world is trying to disciple us uh, into or conform us, conform us to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of my big observations as I travel and speak to churches and meet, meet with pastors. My observation of the church today, and I want to be kind, but my observation is that the church in many regards has conformed to the world. We've been discipled by the world. We think like the world. We're told to engage like the world. And th that just should not be. We should think differently. We should engage differently. And all should be done to the honor and to the glory of God, to, to Jesus, as we engage and think through these issues. So, Richard, when, a, you know, when a, a follower of Christ makes a decision to lovingly stand against this onslaught of, of um, you know, the, world, the culture's thinking on these various matters, LGBTQ+, whatever the issue is, abortion, and they take a stand against it, they're going to receive some pushback and opposition, sometimes in their own families, maybe in their workplace, maybe at school. Uh, how, do you, how do you instruct a, a, a believer to engage that pushback? When, when it comes and the opposition comes, how do you lovingly engage those who oppose your, 
your biblical uh, worldview? Yeah. First of all, Todd, we need to be grounded in the Word. That means we need to know what the Word says uh, when it comes to engaging with others, not just in public policy, but what what does healthy and God-honoring human interaction look like? But then we need to let the Spirit temper us. We need to let the fruits of the Spirit flow through us. I'm in an arena that's often unforgiving. I get attacked for my positions, which are biblically grounded. And I find that if I am measured, and if I, and if I even say a prayer, if I'm feeling the heat or the pressure, I'll, I'll say, Lord, help me. Give me grace. Help me to be gracious. Uh, I find that that prayer is answered. And I also find that those attacks turned on me uh, will end up being used against them. And here's what I mean. Todd, when we uh, stand under fire, uh, and, and I'm referring to some public debates I've been in, when we stand under fire and don't return uh, awful behavior or criticisms or critiques that are, that are um, ugly, if we don't do that in turn, but if we're gracious in our response, grounded and yet gracious, I see good results coming from that. And I've seen God use that. And whether we're in a public arena or on public TV arguing these things or in personal conversation, we need to remember that we need to be grounded in God's word, be gracious as to, to those that are on the other side, and allow the Spirit to work through us, and, and then wait to see how God uses that. The, these issues are so complicated. It seems like there's a new one every day. Such a, we live in a fast-paced information uh, environment. What's the secret to staying informed about the issues that matter? And then along with that, is there a book or something that's along with the Bible that's really influenced your thinking on engaging these these matters? First of all, I'm grounded in the Word. Every day, spend time in the Word and in prayer. That is your grounding. Secondly, don't get into an echo chamber. Don't get into a news source or be fed by a news source that is going to, that where you're just hearing one side and that's so going to make let's hear, you angry. Let me interrupt. What's your news input? Every day, every day, Todd, I scan headlines of local newspapers uh, or state newspapers, uh, Courier Journal, Lexington Herald Leader, of course, Kentucky Today. That's I'm, I'm on there every day. But national sources like National Public Radio, uh, Associated Press, National Review. Those are those are some of my common sources. And I, I do look at others as well. But I get a broad cross section of uh, media reports from different parts of the uh, of the political spectrum. Well, Absolutely. brother, this is a, this is a podcast called Leadership Lessons. So can you tell us about an experience in your life, a story or a time when you that that, that shaped your approach to leadership or your understanding of what leadership should or shouldn't look like? Yeah, you know, Todd, one of the important measures of a leader is to be even keeled thoughtful and gracious. And we often don't um, understand how important that is until we see it done in person. And I was part of a, a board meeting years ago, and you might uh, recall this, but it got to be contentious. And there was some frustration in the room and the, the tension was pretty thick. And the board president said, you know, I think we need to calm down a bit. Let's take this to the Lord in prayer. And there was a pause and he prayed. And after that prayer, Todd, things calmed down. And I, uh, I, I thought, man, that's something I would not have done at the time. Yeah. But for a Christian organization and for a Christian leader to perceive that this meeting was not going well and for him to pause and say, let's pray. That was wisdom and that was leadership 